So we're at the beginning of an epic story about a kingdom, a promise, and a promise fulfilled. And uh, hidden within the, the lines of this story is the beginning of seeing this promise and the coming of this promise. And I want to talk more about that in just a second. Just a little disclaimer, I do have a cold, and, uh, but I really wanted to share this message with you t- today. Uh, and uh, sometimes my voice gets tired and, and I have to go down into my Johnny Cash voice to keep talking. So if I start sounding like I'm going to sing the Ring of Fire, don't worry. I'm just going to keep preaching. All right, so, um, so we're, we're going to get to this promise, but uh, what I first want to do is just to review a little bit what's happened in just three episodes here. Episode one, we saw the creator and his creation, uh, the foundation of that kingdom being established. It was a world defined by God for Ab- Adam and Eve. And uh, it was a beautiful world. It was a perfect world. Yet it was made with an element of danger. Remember? Tree. Made life in the same place where he cast down the devil and his angels. There's an element of danger in this beautiful, perfect world. So God also established how the relationship between him and Adam and Eve would work. And by God's grace, by his initiation, it was all his deal, they lived in a relationship with God, walking with him and serving as his his co-workers, his stewards over his kingdom. Now, there was just one agreement with this way of living, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was reserved for God alone. Don't eat from it and don't reject his reign or reject his authority by eating from it. So, and then in episode two, we saw the damage done to that relationship and that kingdom by a man and woman's choice to reject God's authority. God carried out the punishment that he promised, but he also set up provision and protection for Adam and Eve. He doesn't abandon his creation. He doesn't abandon the beings that he made in his image. But the consequences of their disobedience which the Bible begins to call sin, wrecks the way of life that they once had with God. So God does deliver the consequences, but he promises that there's going to be a descendant from Adam and Eve, a descendant who will not fail where Adam failed, and he would crush the adversary's head. So God promises the serpent crusher, There will be need for him because the kingdom of God is now changed. There is now separation from God and a sin condition that is passed on from one generation to the next. And after that one first sin, many other sins follow and multiply. Sin multiplies in such a way that the wickedness of human beings brings great sorrow to God. The Bible even says that God felt pain over it. So God decides to limit evil by sending a flood. And I want you to catch this. This isn't the first time that God has limited evil in this story. I mean, where else have we seen it? Well, we saw it when he cast some rebellious angels from heaven to earth. He limited them. 
He kept Adam and Eve from the tree of life so that they didn't live with the horror of evil forever. He limited evil. God limited, now this is a story that we didn't, we didn't talk about, but God limited Cain uh, from wreaking more havoc by banishing from uh, working the ground and tending the land. But I want you to know that after eight generations of humans multiplying sin, God limits evil and punishes sin in a huge way. A flood that would wipe out all living things. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. A lot of people have questions about that. And there's a lot of, a lot of questions about, you know, is that fair? And, and then why, why did he choose Noah and not choose others? There's all kinds of questions that come from that. But I got another question to add to it. And the question is, why didn't God go all the way? Why didn't he destroy everything? Why did he save Noah and, and, and uh, the seven, the, the total of eight people and, and a representation of, of these animals? Why didn't he just wipe the slate clean and start fresh over? And one of the reasons, well, one of the reasons is this promise. He made this promise that through Adam and Eve and one of their descendants would come the serpent crusher. He couldn't go back on that promise. And so he sustains one family where the line of Adam and Eve would not be extinguished and that they would continue. So I, I know that, that I, I jump directly to that promise as, as a why. And I know that that doesn't always answer all the other whys and questions that you have. But I really want to encourage you to explore those when you get together with your gel group this week. I want you to know that God, he did make us with the ability to choose. And we will be held responsible for those choices. But the Bible also says that God chooses. And maybe the question isn't so much why God chooses someone or something. Maybe we should concern ourselves more with what for. God chose, but what for? What did he choose Noah for? To continue the line of Adam and Eve to keep his promise, to keep that, his word that he spoke to them. You know, God says that he's going to establish a covenant with Noah. And that's the first time that we see this word covenant in the Bible. Although it's not the first time that a covenant appears in the Bible. But with this third episode, we can start to see the nature of a promise or a covenant with God. You know, after Noah's been in the ark, in this boat, for a year and ten days. I mean, a year and ten days. Can you think about that? A year and ten days cooped up in this boat, taking care of animals, scooping manure, cleaning, watching the space disappear as these animals multiply and getting nervous about it. Noah and his family finally come out of this ark. And Noah, the first thing he does is he builds an altar to God and he sacrifices some of these birds. Now, some of you are all concerned and worried. Well, there's only two of every kind. How did, he, just, he just made those birds extinct. Why did he do that for? Okay, if you go back and read, go back and read, you'll see that, that with the birds, he asked them to collect seven, right? There were some specifics given there. So really, there's some details of this story that you weren't told when you were in preschool. So you might need to go back and read this sometime. 
But with this sacrifice, God then speaks the terms of his covenant with Noah and all creation. And I say all creation because God says that he's making this covenant not just with Noah and his family, not just with people. He's actually making it with all living things, the Bible says. So there are several terms to this covenant. But the biggest term is that God will never destroy the earth through a flood again. He kind of got specific there. I mean, because, I mean, he might destroy it some other way. But he's not going to do it through a flood. And that was his promise. And he said, I'll, I won't destroy it with a flood even again, even though every inclination of a person's heart is evil from their childhood. I won't, I won't destroy that way. And then God gives a sign, a visible symbol of this covenant, a rainbow. And that's, that's the, the thing that we, we, we still see today. It's still a sign of this everlasting covenant that God has made with all living things on the earth. We see it even today. And you might even see one today peeking through the clouds on this rainy day. So why am I talking about all this? Um, Anybody have a Bible on you today? Uh, if, if you open up that Bible uh, and, and you look in it, like in the index part, uh, your Bible is probably divided into two parts. What are those two parts? And you can ask, answer that question while I take a sip here. Yeah, Old Testament and what? New Testament, that's right. Well, did you know that this word testament when it's uh, the Hebrew translation of that word is, is uh, bereath. And, it, or it's, and, and another way to translate that into English is alliance. So instead of Old Testament, it could be the Old Alliance. And uh, Testament in Greek is uh, it's a word that comes from uh, diatheke, or, which means covenant. So the New, New Testament, you could say, is the, the New Covenant. Now, some people, they just go, well, it's Old Covenant, New Covenant. Um, but I, I think these terms are interesting. Old Alliance, uh, maybe if you want to continue with Hebrew, New Alliance, uh, Old Covenant, New Covenant. But I want you to know that this is how people of the, of the past in the Christian faith have looked at the story of God. They've looked at the Bible and, and how they've looked at it as, as Act 1 of the promise and act two of the promise. But let me tell you why we don't use the word promise or simply vow. See, a promise is something that you and I can do between people. Uh, I, I can make a promise or make a vow and, and it can be initiated by one of us. But a covenant is an alliance with someone greater than yourself. And the covenants of the Bible are with God. He's the greater party of the agreement. And in fact, every covenant of the Bible is also initiated by God. He's the one who comes up with the idea. He's the one who starts it, not people, not humans. And there's something that we start to see right here with the Noah covenant. And, and again, I'm saying that in a way that's just very simple. Uh, there's people who say Adamic, Noahic, Mosaic, or Davidic. And it just sounds too smarty pants for me. So anyway, just Noah covenant. With the Noah covenant, we start seeing that there's three, there's usually three parts to a covenant. And again, there's other smarty pants who will tell you that you can break down one of those parts and there's, 
you know, many, many parts to it. But really, all you and I really need to know is that there's three main parts to a covenant, all right? There's a sacrifice, and then there's the alliance terms. The alliance terms can include uh, good things, like a promise God makes that's, you know, a real wonderful thing, but it can also include terms of, and here's what happens when you break my covenant, and there and their consequences, and it's kind of punishment-type terms. So there's the sacrifice, there's alliance terms, and then the third thing is that there's a symbol given as a sign that the covenant is still honored and it stands. So with Noah, what do we see? We see a costly sacrifice of these birds, and that's the sacrifice. And then there's the terms of the alliance with God, that God makes. God vows he'll not destroy uh, life with uh, a flood again. He's going to renew the seasons. He's going to cause the dread of man to fall on animals. That's the one my kids like because they always like to imagine what it must have been like when animals didn't dread mankind. And they let their imaginations go with that. And they go, well, could we have played with the tigers and the lions and all that kind of stuff? And it's okay to do that. You can imagine. Let the story capture your imagination. That's why God gave you one, all right? So uh, he says one of the terms is uh, this dread of man is going to fall on animals. The third thing, he gives humans the freedom to stop being vegetarians. In other words, you can go to the all-you-can-eat meat bar. There's some people very excited about that, and I did say that out loud in Asheville. Yes. Um, was someone boo-hissing me at that moment? Was that what that was? Uh, he, uh, he also said he will demand an accounting of any person who is killed. Uh, even though there's only th- we've only done three episodes in this story, there have already been murders in the story of God. Uh, in, actually, in the first family. We didn't talk about this, but Cain and Abel. First family and the first murder. And uh, at that point, uh, there was no vengeance taken by a person. In fact, God reserved vengeance for murder that was only his territory. He was the only one who, w- who could take care of that. But at, at this point, he says, when, some, when a man's blood is shed, there needs to be an accounting for it. And that's one of the terms with the Noah covenant. And then the last thing is he commands humans to multiply and cover the earth. So, I know some of those things are like, I I didn't know that was in there. Well, it is. Again, there's some details that your preschool, Sunday school teacher didn't share with you, and you should go back and read the story because it's very interesting. So, uh, we got the sacrifice. We got the alliance terms with Noah. Then there's the thing that we all were taught about, the symbol, the sign. And what is that? The rainbow, yes. And that is the sign of God's covenant, which still stands with all the earth today. A rainbow. Uh, one, one thing that's interesting about a rainbow, um, call it a bow because it, it has that bend in it. And the bow bends this way. It, it goes, uh, bends towards heaven, not bending towards earth. And a bow, also in minds of ancient people, you, when you said bow, you would think bow and arrow, right? And so one of the thoughts with ancient peoples and the rainbow is the reason that it bends upward is, and not instead of downwards is that God in this promise has said he's not going to make war on the earth. 
through flood again. So that, that's just another little tidbit that was for free. Um, I said that with Noah that this is the first time that we see the word covenant, but it's not the first time that we see a covenant initiated by God. If you go back one episode in the story of God, and God, you see that God initiates an alliance that has one promisey term in it, but it has lots of consequence, punishment terms in it. It was with Adam and Eve, and it was after, after eating from the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the promised part of that covenant is that God is going to send this serpent crusher, this descendant of Adam and Eve who will get nipped on the heel by, by the enemy. And again, a nip on the heel, that's inconsequential. That's not going to do anything. Um, but though this descendant of Adam and Eve will get nipped, he in turn is going to crush the adversary's head. And a blow to the head is a fatal blow, is a life-ending blow. It is consequential. So that was the promisey part of that covenant. But then we're, we're also familiar, probably more familiar with the consequence, the punishment type part of that covenant that God made with Adam and Eve then. Uh, the consequences like... Um, Okay, men and women, you're going to suffer in different ways. Women, you're going to suffer giving birth. Men, your work, you're going to work so stinking hard and you're just going to be able to produce a little bit of it from the ground. Work is totally changed now. And then also the big one, you can be certain of death, uh, that you will return to the dust from which you are made. And, and today, that still stands. You know, it's 100% guaranteed. None of us get out of here alive. We all return to the dust. So, but I want you to know, we, those are the terms of that covenant, but there's also a sacrifice. That covenant had a sacrifice. And that's one we kind of skip over. We don't really see it because it's a little more covert. But you remember God covered Adam and Eve with animal skins? There was a couple of animals that had to die. And so there was a sacrifice. There was a shedding of blood to clothe Adam and Eve. And and then what is the sign? What was the sign for this covenant? Uh, some think that it was actually the, the clothing that they wore was a sign of the covenant. Uh, some think or thought uh, that it was actually the flaming sword that was before the garden that uh, kept them out from the way of life that they once knew. So, you know, there seems to be another covenant that most every theologian agree, agrees existed before the fall. And it was the original alliance that God initiated for Adam and Eve to live and walk with God. The vow was God would walk with them in the garden. But if they ate from the tree, from the forbidden tree, and rejected God's authority, they would die. Now, some of you have asked, uh, I've, I've heard in our gel groups and different times, some of you have asked, why was the tree of life in the garden? I mean, why did he put it there? Because you know, they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then they, you know, God bans them. They never even got to touch it. So why put it there in the first place? And, well, one of the reasons is, and, and many people believe this, is that the tree of life was actually the sign or the symbol of the covenant that God had with Adam and Eve. It was a sign of life with God. So the original covenant, though, it was before the fall. So it's the only covenant that was without a blood sacrifice. So I know you might be going, so what, Shannon? 
I mean, why are you telling this? Why take time to talk about this? Well, the story of God is about a promise. And you need to know that God's promises stand. And they never change. And they are good. And he will keep to his word. So if you go out and you see a rainbow and you go, man, for thousands of years, God has been keeping that promise. There's a sign of it right there. There's another promise, another covenant that many of us here have already put our trust in. And it's the new covenant. It's the covenant in the cross. And you need to know that that covenant is going to be good too. And that he's going to keep his word and it will stand for eternity. You need to know that. That's why we're talking about this. You see, the story of God is about a promise. Your Bible is Act 1, the Old Alliance, and Act 2, the New Covenant. You're going to see covenant as a repeated theme throughout the rest of the story of God. You know, as you see it repeated, you, you might see it as individual covenants with different people throughout history. You'll see uh, this covenant with Adam. You'll see a covenant with Noah. See the covenant with Abraham. See a covenant with Moses. See a covenant with David. And you might see it as individual covenants, but I would encourage you to see it really as an expansion of the first and original covenant, detailing and clarifying that covenant with Adam, leading to the eventual fulfillment of that promise of God when the second Adam, the better Adam, arrives and crushes the enemy. You see, you have that promise to Adam and Eve. One of your descendants will crush the enemy. Then you come along to Noah saying, hey, I'm going to keep, keep the line alive. That's going to happen. And then you come to Abraham, and I'm jumping ahead. I know all the Joe leaders are mad at me because I'm, I'm jumping ahead in the story. And uh, it's okay. I got the trump card. I can do it. It's Sunday morning. So um, they didn't like that either. Um, and then Abraham comes along. And, and so what happens is God makes a promise. I'm going to bless you, make you into a great nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. Well, what God did there is he's making the promise more specific. It's not just a descendant from the human race. It's going to be from these people descended from, at, from Abraham, Abraham. And then you go a little further down the line, you get to the David covenant. And in that covenant... He gets even more specific. It's not just from the people of Abraham, but it's going to be a specific line from Abraham. It's going to be from the tribe of Judah. And, it's going to, and this person is not going to be any ordinary person. He's going to be a king. And the kind of king that can stay on a throne for eternity. That's something different. That's something different. And that gives us a little more specifics to this covenant, this promise, way in the start here that said there's going to be a descendant from humans. That crushes the enemy. So we get, we follow the promise. And the promise tells us more about this story. So why include the Tower of Babel in the story of God? Well, it's also a type of pattern that we see repeated. A, a pattern that mankind keeps repeating and trying to relate to God. You see, the Tower of Babel is an image of humans failing in their part of the covenant. And again, that's going to be a pattern we'll see with these prompt, the, the covenant throughout. You're going to see God initiates it. God upholds his part, but every time humans fail. Humans fail their part. But then God does something to take care of that problem of our failure 
with that final covenant with the cross. Some of you know about that already, but we'll get to it and we'll talk about that soon. But it's good news. It's really good news that he takes care of our screwing it up part. And now remember, one of the terms of the Noah covenant was for humans to multiply and cover the earth. But instead, when we read this, we're in the story of of Babel. Instead, humans specifically reject God's authority again by saying they don't want to scatter over the earth. We don't want to do that. They also say that they want to make a name for themselves. They want to grab glory instead of waiting for it to be bestowed on them by God. Where have we seen that before? Didn't we see that with a rebel angel trying to grab glory and then being cast down to earth? Didn't we see that with Adam and Eve trying to grab glory from some fruit to become like God and then being cast out from the garden? Now there's a large group of humanity that wants to grab glory for themselves through building an amazing tower, a tower to the sky, implying that they were going to make their own way to heaven, their own way to God. And God once again punishes evil and limits evil. So God limits their language, which causes them to stop building their tower to the sky and do what he originally commanded to scatter over the earth. Now, up to this point in the story of God, we've seen three instances of created beings trying to make their own way to their creator or to be like the creator. And each time the maker has stopped them and punished them. So what do you think that says about God's reaction to us coming up with our own ideas and our own methods of making a way to get to him? Do you think it says, stop doing that? I think that might be a message that's coming out in just three episodes of the story so far. You know, I don't know. You know, it seems like it's a pattern that's still going on today, isn't it? It's the the Babel pattern. There's people still piecing together. Well, you know, I don't like institutional religion. So I'm going to do a little piecemeal. I'm going to take a little bit of this faith and a little bit of that faith, a little bit of this, and I'm going to put it together. And don't that seem good? Don't that seem really fair? Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not just picking one thing. I'm picking from many. Doesn't that make me so, hmm, hmm, well, I'm just not judgmental. Yeah. And so we do this little piecemeal thing, put together. Really what we're doing is building a tower. It's building a tower. That's what that is, making your way to God. And what we've seen in the story so far is God saying, don't do that. Stop doing that. I, I, if you don't stop, I will stop you. I will limit you. God has a specific way for us to return to him in the life of the kingdom as it once was in Edom. But up to this point, we haven't been given the specifics in the story. Some of you know what those specifics are already. You've heard parts of the story that come later. Nate, you guys can come on up. I'm going to wrap this up. I, I know that there's been disturbing parts of the story here in the beginning. But I want you to know that more pieces come together as we go along. And it starts to make sense. And I, I want you not to ignore the disturbing parts because if you, can, if you ignore them and push them aside then the good parts of the story don't seem really good. So you've got to keep the disturbing parts. 
You can't ignore them. And I know, I know, I know that there's some people, your, your sense of boundaries are really disturbed knowing that God would make a place for life in the same place that he cast down evil angels. That is disturbing to you. Some people's sense of safety and peace are disturbed by a non-baby-proofed world where a dangerous tree exists within reach of man and woman. That disturbs you. Why would God do that? Some people's sense of second chances and third and fourth and fifth chances are disturbed by a flood destroying all life except for a few. And, and the question comes with that, that God, how could you do that? I mean, why? And that just doesn't seem fair. And it's not that you can't ask that question or, or, or say those things, but I, I just want you to know when you say that, do you know what you're saying to God? You're saying, God, my sense of justice is better than yours. What you did was not fair. In my eyes, that was not fair. I mean, you can do that. You can say that. I'm just, do you understand what you're saying when you say that? That's, that's big. You know, some people's sense of unity is disturbed to know that God would use language to cause division in mankind. And there's all these little, little parts to the story, details, and, and we get disturbed by them. But here's what I wish you'd be more disturbed by. I wish you'd get disturbed that God has set boundaries for us, for you and me today. And we are crossing those boundaries. We're trespassing. We're defying God. We're rejecting his authority when we do that. That should disturb you. I wish you'd be disturbed to know that safety and peace that you enjoy was dangerously purchased for you through the violent murder of the Son of God. Yes, Jesus Christ laid down his life willingly but it was done through a murder and that's how God obtained peace and security for you in him I wish that would disturb you I wish you'd be disturbed knowing not just that God saved eight people from a flood and an ark but that today he still knows how to rescue people righteous people by grace and he knows how to punish wicked people who want to measure up by their own good deeds God still punishes sin I wish you'd be disturbed knowing that the only true unity people will know today is being united in Jesus Christ something that goes beyond the division of language or race or ethnicity you know, the people at Babel, they had a plan for God. And whenever those words form that kind of sentence for you, I got a plan for you, God. The clue phone should ring. That maybe that's not a good thing to say or not even a good route to go. Because what happened with the Babel and the people and their plan. It was rejected by God and all their hopes sank with it. Instead, maybe we should listen to what God says. You see, God said he had a plan for Noah. It wasn't Noah's plan. He didn't initiate it. God did. 
And God's plan worked. It rescued him and his family. And Noah's hopes stayed alive. Are you still trying to build your tower to the sky? Are you still trying to piece together your own way to God? Piece together your own rescue? Or have you rested in the ark? God's provision, God's plan, God's way to carry you over troubled waters. Some of you know what that ark is today. It's the cross. Rescues us. And I know that there's some that we just need to return to God. We need to do like that song, turn your face to me. That's what God says to us. Turn your face to me. Return to me. And he has a way that he wants us to return. He wants us to humble ourselves before the sun. It seems so easy, so simple. Yet it's so hard for us to do because we want to reject God's authority. We don't want to bend our knee to him. so simple. We can't save ourselves. Saving is all God's idea from start to finish. It's a gift. He does it all. And I I know that even on a today like today, it's Mother's Day. I mean, you have thoughts about how you came into this world. You realize that You had nothing to do with that. You had no choice in the matter. That you came into existence by God's will and by the will of a mother and a father, a dad, a husband and wife. You know what? God is arranging circumstances for you to have a second birth through him if you'd humble yourself before the Son.